morning and Happy New Year. As we finish our series on Advent this morning, looking at the attributes of the Messiah from Isaiah chapter 11, we now come to the arrival of the judge. In a world where the scales of justice are in a continual imbalance, the only biblical response is a confident expectation of the return of the judge to come and to set all things right. So thanks for listening. Well, good morning. It's good to be with you here at the beginning of the year, first day, starting off the bat. And uh, one thing that I, I found on the newsreels, again, I don't know if you have uh, heard of this young man that um, this past year went into a church and shot up people. He sat there with them through the service and then uh, killed them in cold blood. Uh, Dylan Roof, has anyone seen this on the news? It was uh, pro- probably you know just in throughout December they had his trial. And uh, one of these news stories uh, came across the headlines I picked up because uh, what, what they've done is they found him guilty, which how could you not? I mean, it's obvious what happened happened. But the question was, what do we do with him now? And, uh, you know, for a lot of people, it's not a hard answer, right? Uh, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. And, uh, um, you know, the, the government that we live under and the world that we live in, you know, they have to make decisions for how you handle uh, capital crimes like this. Uh, but in this news article uh, that I pulled offline, uh, it was the response of some of the families who had their loved, loved ones murdered in cold blood that I really I couldn't, couldn't believe and I had to share with you. Uh, this, one, uh, this one lady from this tragedy, she responds with these words. She says, you ready? She says, I forgive you. Can you believe that? I, I'm not sure that you'll find any prosecutor or any uh, judge or any... Uh, servant of the government that can say that, but the very victim of the crime, a member of a church, a follower of Jesus Christ, has these words printed in black and white. She says, I forgive you. You took something very precious away from me. Says Nadine Collier, the daughter of victim Ethel Lance. This is what she told, uh, she told Ruth. I will never get to talk with her ever again. I will never be able to hold her again. But I forgive you and have mercy on your soul. You hurt me. You hurt a lot of people. If God forgives you, I forgive you. Another sister of a victim, a DePayne Middleton doctor, told Ruth during the bond hearing, that was my sister, and I'd like to thank you on behalf of my family for not allowing hate to win. For me, I'm a work in progress, and I acknowledge that I am very angry. But one thing that DePayne always enjoyed in our family is that she taught me that we are the family that is built on love. And we have no room for hating, and so we have to forgive. And I pray God on your soul. I can't even imagine. I mean, it's one thing to read the words and... and, And think through what that would have been like. But can you imagine if that was your family? If that happened? I mean, God forbid that would ever happen in any church. And the thing that I see from this is that we live in a world where the levels of justice are left unbalanced. People don't receive what they deserve. Has anyone ever wronged you? Have you ever had anybody uh, uh, treat you in a way that... They ought, they ought to get what's coming to them. They ought to deserve justice. Have you ever wanted to carry out being the judge and jury yourself to say, let me take care of this situation right now? 
That you want to level those plates of justice so that it is an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. God's word says that he allows the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. And the writer for the wisdom literature books will say that that justice is left up to God. Vengeance is left up to God. The world is not as it should be, church. Do you recognize this? Do you feel this? We're working through, and this is the last Sunday in a series on Advent. And as we have, we've been in Isaiah chapter 11. Uh, will you turn there with me real quickly? Uh, Yvonne read it for us this morning. And as it's the last time, we've heard it every week, but it's the last time we're going to see it now for a while. I want to pull out for you uh, where we're at, that you would recognize a few observations from this text before we really get into things. Because the reality of needing justice in our world, that things would be set right, is a reality that cannot come from us. Because you and I, we don't see things clearly. We don't see things properly, with integrity. We see things slanted as those who have been victimized. And we also need to be careful because at the very moment that we would want to point the finger to highlight where someone is getting off, how many fingers are pointing back at you? But three of them. So that if we're going to call for justice to be given on this earth, you know what that's a claim for as well? That's a claim for my own insegressions, my own transgressions, my own ways in which I have failed to keep God's law as also needing to be brought about with justice. Isaiah chapter 11. Look with me in verse 3. And, and maybe just starting in verse 1. You, you can see where we've been. We look, first of all, at the advent of humility. And after this, the uh, advent of wisdom came. And you remember that this was the way in which God's ways are different than ours. And the advent of power we looked at next. And at Christmas Eve, remember, it was the advent of love. And that was what we celebrated with the coming of Jesus. This word Advent is one that a lot of people simply hold to Christmas time. But it's a word that comes from the New Testament from a Greek word called parousia, which means arrival. That's what it means. When the New Testament will speak with this word arrival, it will use it not primarily in the sense of Jesus' birth. But rather primarily in Jesus' second Advent. He's coming again, church. He's coming again. And when he comes again, he will bring with him justice. So I'm calling this sermon the, the advent of justice. Look with me in verse 3. He will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. Alright, so the first thing I want you to see here is that when this... Holy One of God comes when the Son of Man comes, when Jesus comes again at His second advent, He's not going to judge with prejudice or favoritism or appearance or flattery. Now, who's guilty of that? No, we are. You know, have you ever seen a judge let somebody off because they were uh, buddies? Hunting, but have you ever heard of somebody kind of not getting what they deserve because they knew the prosecutor or, you know, whatever it might be, you, you and I, you know, we can get by with a little extra flattery, right? A little extra pay them off, right? Because we live in this corrupt world and the balances of justice are not equal. 
Look at verse 3. He's not going to come. He's not going to judge by what he sees with his eyes or hears with his ears. You're not going to be able to bribe me. You're not going to be able to trick me. You're not going to be able to flatter me. Justice is going to come straight like an arrow. Verse 4. But with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. I want you to see that secondly here. Uh, Attention. Special attention is given to who? Did you see it in verse 4? The the needy and the poor. I just need to simply say this. If that's where God is going to look to provide aid and help, don't you think that's where we should be looking as well? To the needy and to the poor. Continue on with me. He says that he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Uh, For my Wednesday Bible study students, you'll recognize, does he have an actual rod coming out of his mouth? What is this? These are his words, right? So it is by God's word that he will bring justice. All the more reason why you and I need to make sure we're familiarizing ourselves with what? God's word, that we know his word, that we have hidden it in our hearts such that we will not sin against God. Number one. He's not going to judge by favoritism, right? You're not going to be able to trick him by something that he sees or something that he hears. Number two, attention, special attention is given to the needy and to the poor. And number three, the instrument of his judgment is his word. And lastly, in verse five, righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. Um, These two Hebrew words for righteousness and faithfulness, they're actually better translated. If you have a different translation, um, or I'd encourage you, uh, write down these words instead of righteousness, write justice. It means righteousness, and justice means the same thing, but sometimes we think righteousness and we just spiritualize it, and we don't realize that to be righteous means that you can't hold something against it. It's just. It's fair. That's what it means. So fairness is the idea, will be his belt. And instead of the word faithfulness here, a better word is integrity. It's a better word. Again, because faithfulness, sometimes we just spiritualize that to think of, you know, the Carmelite nuns are faithful, right, or something like that. But no, what, what we're talking about here is integrity. You're not going to be able to. You're not going to be able to sway God. You're not going to be able to change God. That ought to cause us a sense of awe. That ought to cause us a sense of fear. And that ought to cause us a sense of respect and honor due to the judge of this world. Because you might think that you can get away with it right now. But you will not when he returns. Now that's kind of a difficult message to hear except for the good news. What's the good news, church? It's called the gospel. What's the gospel? That my sins have been paid. Amen? How about you? Yeah. My sins have been paid. So at each moment where the judge would bring accusation against me, guess what? It's paid. And so I encourage and I look for and I long For the return of the king to come and to set things right. Because we live in a world where the scales of justice are not balanced. But there will come a day. There will come a day where he will return. John chapter 5 is where we're going to be. Turn with me to John chapter 5. I'm going to read through a passage starting in verse 16. I'm going to make some brief comments on it. And we're going to see that there are three main questions to answer. 
And, and that's, it for our, that's it for this morning, right? A who, a what, and a when. All right, those are our questions. Who, what, and when. John chapter 5, verse 16. Helen, what are our page? 1654. 1654, if you're there. All right. <clears throat> Follow along with me. John records. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, uh, the Jews persecuted him. Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work to this very day. Now, he was fine with that statement, right? You could, you could make a statement about, about God. In fact, you could almost go so far as to call him your father. The Jews were fine with that. It was the next thing that he says that really gets the Jews upset. He says, And I, too, am working. Jesus just compares himself with who? God the Father. Now, they got this, right? Verse 18 says, For this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Uh, there are some people today, I don't know if you've ever uh, done any study on this or if you've heard of it, but there are people today, uh, highly trained academic people that want to say that Jesus really, you know, he wasn't God and he never claimed to be God. Right? You're, you're not going to see a passage in the scriptures where he says, I am God. You don't, frankly, I'll, I'll back that up. It's not in there. Instead, you see a life that depicts somebody that absolutely is God. Well, check it out because the Jews understood this. It don't matter, I don't care where you get your education, right? They were there. I, you and I weren't there, so let's listen to what they said, right? The Jews tried all the harder to kill him, not only because he was breaking the Sabbath. Hey, that, that's not how we always do things. You're changing it. They didn't like that. Right? You're breaking the Sabbath. You're breaking the tradition. But he was even calling God his own father, making himself what? Equal with God. Yeah, don't, don't ever allow someone to tell you that Jesus never claimed to be God because his entire life revealed that he was. And the people there understood that. That's why they wanted to kill him. All right, verse 19. Jesus gave him this answer. Here we go. I tell you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, to your amazement, he will show him even greater things than these. For just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the son gives life. To whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the father judges no one. You guys see that? The father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the son. That all may honor the son just as they honor the father. He who does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word... And believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. Okay, I got to read that again. You got to give me a good amen on that. Ready? Because this is awesome. All right, ready to go? He has crossed over from death to life. Amen. amen. That is awesome. I tell you the truth. A time is coming and has now come. When the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so has he granted the Son to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge, because he is the Son of Man. 
Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all those who are in their graves will hear his voice and will come out. Those who have done good will rise to live, and those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. By myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. Amazing passage where Jesus will outline kind of this Hey, you, you, you want to know why I'm really here? You, you want to know what I'm all about? And it comes about because they're kind of nitpicking at him for healing on the Sabbath, for breaking their traditions. As it starts out in the beginning, and he starts off with Jesus so many times will, will say, truly I tell you, I tell you the truth. So look with me as we try to answer the first question. Here it is. Who has the power to judge? All right, that's, that's question number one. Remember it was a who? Who has the power to judge? Yeah, so our answer should be God, right? That should be our answer. And for the Jews, that was fine as well, right? Who has the power to judge? God has the power to judge, not me, not you, right? As much as we want to be judge and jury and executioner the whole time, right? But we don't have that kind of power. God alone is the one that holds that power. So look at verse 19 through uh, 23. I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. So where is Jesus getting his power from? He's getting it from the Father. Now, verses 19 and 20, they show this. If you're into taking notes, write this word down. Cooperation. Cooperation. All right? So that, that, what the, that which the Father would do, Jesus does, being empowered by the Father. Look what he says. <clears throat> um, he can only do what he sees his Father doing because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. And to your amazement, he will show him even greater things than these. So that these that he's talking about are the healings that have come so far in the Gospel of John. There's all kinds of stuff that's yet to come. In church, i got to tell you, there's more yet to come. God is still at work. Those aren't my words. Those are Jesus' words. Did you see it back in verse 17? My Father is always, what? At work. Oh, that's just a little word of hope for you this morning. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what it is that 2017 means for you. But listen to this. God ain't through with you. <laughs> that's awesome, right? God's not through with you yet. He is still working. And Jesus is still working as well. Because Jesus is empowered by God. Uh, he has entrusted all judgment to the Son. Did you see this? So the Father is not the one who's going to judge. And in the cooperative power, Jesus has a special role to play. Verse 22, moreover, the father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the son. So Jesus is this one who is going to judge. Now, at this, you might recognize the Jews were really upset. Uh, if you're going to claim that God is going to entrust all judgment to you, well, I'm sorry, but who again has the power to judge? God. And you're saying... That he's entrusted it to you? Can, can you imagine the uh, audacity of that statement? Um, there is a cult that uh, exists in our world today called Mormonism. Have, have you heard of the Church of Latter-day Saints? Yeah. They would love to be thought of as Christians, but in fact they're not. 
they use the same terminology and they'll come knock on your door and they will talk about Jesus in the Bible. But they have another testament that they believe is the word of God that was written by a guy named Joe. Joe Smith. He, he lived in upper state New York and eventually started this band of followers to come after him. And they believe that, you know, as much as you will face judgment on that day before Jesus and God the Father, you will also have to face Joe. Really? Can you imagine if anyone here today said that God has entrusted all judgment <coughs> to me, right? Yeah, that guy is a few bricks short of a over. <laughs> Stairs don't go all the way to the top. The hamster... Fell off the wheel. I'll stop with my metaphors. <laughs> yeah, we, we would recognize that uh, not only are you crazy, uh, but in this context with the Jewish people, you are really offending them because you're, you're doing what they would call blasphemy. You're, calling your, you're making your claim that you are God. Uh, the last thing I want you to see here is that Jesus doesn't even stop there. Verse 23, look what he says. That all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Another word that you could use for that is worship. Highly offensive. If there's any question in your mind as to why they wanted to kill Jesus, you just got to put yourself in their shoes and hear what they're hearing. Unless, oh, check this, unless Jesus is right. Unless he is God's son. Unless he actually is God. So, question, who has the power to judge? First answer, God. Because of this text, second answer, Jesus. Jesus is the one who has the power to judge. All right, let's go with the second question. Now, what gives Jesus the right to judge? I hear what you're, I hear what you're saying, that you're connected with God and he's showing you the things that you're going to judge. You don't do it by your own account. But, but I don't really think that's fair. Here's why. Because God didn't go through what I went through. How can God judge when he doesn't know what it's like to walk a mile in my shoes? You know, I got people uh, ridicule and tease me. Anyone ever have scorn come your way from somebody? God doesn't know what that's like. God lives enthroned in the heavens. Uh, to to uh, feel like I've been cheated. To have maybe your own family uh, want to disown you and think you're nuts, right? God doesn't know what that's like. So what gives Jesus the right? Well, let's continue here. Verse 24 through 27, we'll find the answer. And Jesus will say again, I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. So he's going to get right down into our world today. right? He's not going to leave it into a bunch of sacrifices, a bunch of ritualistic things that you need to do. Hey, you better be paying your tithe. You make sure you come to church, right? Otherwise, no, no, none of that. It isn't a set, set of rules. Jesus gets right down into where we live today. You know what it is? It's faith. It's belief. That's what it is. Did you, let me read it again. Did you see it? Whoever hears my word, right? Step number one, hears my word and believes in him who sent me. And you will have eternal life. So Jesus really uh, takes the message of our connecting with God and he brings it down from heaven and he brings it into our world today. He brings it into the here and the now. You've crossed over from death to life. I tell you the truth. The time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. See, that's happening right then. They're hearing the voice of the Son of God and they will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so has he granted the Son to have life. Oh, 
So who is it that has given Jesus the right? God has. Life is found in God, but here Jesus is bringing life to earth. He's bringing it to you. There's life found in the Father, and he has given Jesus the right to hold life within himself. That all those who hear his word and believe in him who sent him, eternal life is offered to you. There's one last statement that he makes here in verse 27. And he has given him authority to judge. That's a really interesting phrase, right? Uh, Who appointed you judge, right? Who, Who set you up in charge? Who made you arbitrator? Uh... God did. Look at what he did. Because he is, what's your Bible say? The Son of Man. So Son of Man is a term that Jesus picks up really throughout Mark's gospel. John includes it here and it goes all the way back to Daniel. But it's this idea that the Son of Man is one who is fully acquainted with what it means to live on this earth. Don't think for a moment. That God doesn't know what you're going through. Jesus was hated by his family. His family thought he was nuts. Mary, she had the revelation from the, from the angels. She knew more, but the, the younger brothers, imagine being Jesus' younger brother. Mary being, you need to be more like Jesus. That would be tough. I wouldn't like him too much if I was uh, Jesus' younger brother. So yeah, you might be thinking, uh, yeah, that crackpot brother of mine's out of his mind, right? Rejected by his own family. Jesus knew what that's like. How, 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 how to be ridiculed and scorned. Anyone here ever get spat upon? Probably not. But you know what? That happened to Jesus. Anyone here ever want people to murder you? You know, probably not. It probably never got to that level. But it did to Jesus. There is no affliction given to man on earth that Jesus himself has not experienced. How about the greatest injustice of all? Really, it's fair for us, but you know what it is? It's called death. Jesus says he's been given life. And if you believe this, you've crossed over from death to life. I know intimately well in a way I never would have asked for that death is a broken part of this world. I lost my dad. So did Jesus. And Joseph doesn't show up in any of the gospel stories. As we understand that You know what? Somewhere in Jesus growing up, his dad passed away. It doesn't doesn't matter what you and I face. That we would be somehow distant from God's awareness of our own difficulties. God is fully aware. He knows what it's like to go through whatever it is you're going through. Because why? Look what it says. He gave him authority to judge because he is the son of man. All right. Who is the power to judge? Well, Jesus is the power to judge. Who, uh, what gives Jesus the right to judge? Well, he is acquainted with our sufferings. He understands what it's like. He can stand as the one who is both with integrity and justice and yet having gone through what we've gone through. So he has the right. Last question here. A who, a what, and a when. When will Jesus judge? Remember, this is the end of Advent, and we have celebrated the first Advent over the last five weeks, right? His first coming, but now, church, he's coming again. And when we hear the word Advent, you've got to make sure you disengage this idea that it's just a special Christmas time. It is his return to earth to come as the judge. Look with me for when this will happen, verse 28 through 30. Don't be amazed, for a time 
is coming. What tense is that? Past, present, or future? Right? A time is coming. It's closer now than it was at the beginning of our service when we started. A time is coming when all who are in their graves... And so we're talking about people who have died. All who are in their graves will hear his voice. There was, a, there was a fellow in scripture that that happened to. You remember his name? He had two sisters, Mary and Martha. Lazarus, that's right. Dead. Jesus says, you know, let's, let's roll, roll the stone away. And what, what did the people say? You know, he's actually been gone a while now. In the King James, I think it says stinketh. <laughs> That's kind of a funny Stinketh. That's not a, do you understand that's not a problem for God? Death's not a problem for God. You know, whatever the physical state of the body looks like, smells like, is like, that's not a problem for God. Because it says they will hear his voice. The dead, the people in their graves, will hear his voice. And they will come out. Now, I'm good with that up to this point. Look what he says next. Because he's going to make two categories. Those who have done good will rise to live. And those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. I used to think that the resurrection was only something that was given to believers. But that's not what Jesus is saying. Guess what? Whether you believed in him who sent Jesus or not. You're coming back. And you're coming back for judgment. For those who believe, for those who knew him, who have done good, the good is that which comes from having a relationship with Jesus Christ through the gospel. They will rise to live. Everyone else is also going to rise, but they will not rise to life. They will rise for condemnation. Now this is a message that's not very popular today. The message of hell is not very popular. And everywhere I look, I see people trying to wiggle their way out of this because it's not politically correct. But you know what? I don't care because this is what the Bible says. And you know what? I'd love to go so far as to show you that I'm not just cherry picking a verse here. This is something that's repeated throughout the scriptures. So look with me at a few places. Jan Daniel chapter 12. Look how he relates this. All the way back in the Old Testament. They will see it's not just not the New Testament. Daniel says these words, multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake. Same thing Jesus is saying, right? The people who are dead are going to come to life. Some, all these people coming to life, some to everlasting life, others to shame and what? Yeah, everlasting contempt. Matthew chapter 25. Uh, Jesus is giving the parable of the sheep and the goats. If you haven't read that one, it's a... It's a humdinger, as they say. It's a good one. You should read the one. Matthew chapter 25, he says, after he separated the sheep and the goats from one another, he replies, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. He's talking to the goats here in this example who have not fed the hungry or clothed the naked or visited uh, and cared for the sick and the imprisoned. He says, they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Do you see the two camps? You see the two categories? What again is the qualifier here? Eternal life. Eternal punishment. Acts chapter 24. The apostle to the Gentiles says these words as he speaks to, uh, he's talking to the high priest and he's talking to a bunch of other Jewish people. He says, and I have the same hope in God as these men themselves have, that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous 
and of the wicked. So church, I want you to see that even as difficult as this message is, it's one that's strewn throughout the Word of God. There's going to be a day when the judge is going to return to earth. And by His voice, the dead will hear and they will be raised. Some to everlasting life. And some to everlasting contempt. It's not a question of if. What's a question of? It's a question of what? God's the one with the power to judge. And Jesus has been given that by God. So Jesus is the judge. Not only that, he has the right to judge because he is the son of man. He knows what you go through. If there's anybody that can speak on your behalf, it's Jesus. And he is coming again. To judge as the creed says, the quick and the dead. I always wondered what that was. What is the quick? That, that's us who are still alive, right? The dead aren't very quick, but we're, we're, we're right here. So he, he will come back to judge the living and the dead. All right, so here's, I want to give you my conclusion on this. Um, it's super complicated, so really hold on. Ready? Here it is. Got it? Yeah. Jesus is the judge. Jesus is the judge. And Jesus is the judge, right? There's some implications for that. Number one, Jesus is the judge. Guess what? Not us. You, you may have moments in your life where you want justice to be served, man. It ain't right. You know what? You're not the judge. And it's not fair. Don't think I'm telling you that it's fair. But there is one who is going to come who will set everything right. You're not the judge. Jesus is the judge. You don't have the right to judge. So because of that, here's the implication. You need to trust in him today. Remember his words? Everybody who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. And you've crossed over from death to life. Because the Father who has life in him has given life to Jesus to give to those that he, he pleases. So trust in him. If he's the judge, put your hope in him. If he's the judge, look to him. Don't wait till tomorrow. Because you don't know when the end is coming. And so if Jesus is the judge, guess what we need to be doing today? We need to be ready. We, we need to be watching for his return. Church, Jesus is the judge. It's not you or me. Jesus is the judge. So trust in him today. And Jesus is the judge. So let's be watching. Like Yvonne read for us in Matthew, right? If, if the servants of the house knew the day and the hour that the master was going to return, guess what they would have been doing? <laughs> Little story. I didn't plan this in my sermon, but I'm going to share it with you anyways. So my wife uh, and, her, and my kids went to Ohio uh, for Christmas, and they just got back. And who thinks, who thinks the house was spotless clean for her when she got back? You all apparently know me pretty well. Yeah. Now, I had fully intended, I fully intended on kind of sprucing things up, but you know how the day sort, sort of gets away from you. Yeah. Well, I, I thought that maybe she was going to get back uh, a little bit after 5 o'clock, but lo and behold, she made really good time through Chicago and Milwaukee, and she got back early. If the servant had known the hour when the master would have returned, the dishes would have been clean. So... Can all guess what I'm doing after church? Yeah. <laughs> the same is true for us, but it's true in such a real sense. 
When I was a kid in school, we played a game called uh, Red Light, Green Light. Did anyone ever play that game? Red Light, Green Light. We would all line up at the end and someone would be up front and they'd shout, Green Light! All the kids would run and the fastest could make it to safety and they would sit down and they'd be safe. But if you heard the term Red Light, it was too late. You had to stop. You had to freeze. You didn't make it. You didn't make it. I don't want you to play with it. I don't want us to take this idea that Jesus is the judge lightly because there's a very real game of red light, green light. And guess what? Right now it's green light. Right now you have the opportunity and you still have time to make it safe where you can sit down and you can be at peace where any sin that you've committed in your life, past, present, or future, it's paid by the blood of Jesus Christ. But there's coming a day when that voice and the trumpet will sound. And it's not green light anymore. It's now red light. And if you like some of those kids in my class were like, this game's done, man. I ain't playing this game. Right? I, I don't really care. Or what does it matter? Or you don't see the severity of the situation of your own sin in this world. When time's up, church, time's up. That's it. Jesus is the judge. It's not you. It's not me. Jesus is the judge. So put your trust in him. I know you're going to face some stuff in 2017. This is why we're starting a whole series on prayer. Because I don't know what's coming. I know the one who does. And so we're going to learn to be on our knees before him. But we've got to trust him today. And if you've done that, then your job, because he's the judge, is you're to watch and you're to prepare for his return. Let's pray and ask God's help for us to obey him to do this. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word today.